You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we blow up the news. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome. This is the, another episode of the Atomic Podcast. I am Eves the Canon Sanon. As you can see, I am here alone. My good friend, my good partner, my heterosexual life mate, if you want to say that like he would say, is actually out on assignment. Yes, we've been on a hiatus, but we are back at it. Um, Today will not be an episode that features us. Today will be an episode that features my good friend Ephraim Guzman interviewing Mr. Albert Pune. Now, if you do not know who this man is, he is the man that did a lot of great B-movies such as Sorcerer in the Stone, Cyborg, um, Nemesis, and yeah, the Captain America movie. Not the Captain America movie we all know, the one in the 80s. Well, I don't know if it's the 80s or the 90s, you know me, I know. Ephraim is the one who knows all this stuff. The one with the Italian Red Skull. So, we'll be back. When Ephraim comes back from being on assignment, we'll have a couple of brand new shows ready, locked and loaded. So, without further ado, here is Ephraim's straightforward interview with Mr. Albert Punes. You guys take care. Have a good one. Okay, I have here with me Albert Pune from longtime director. He directed multiple multi films, and one of one of my favorite films is Cyborg. I have Albert Pune on the phone. Hell, how you doing, Albert? Okay, how are um, you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Hanging in there in New York City weather. It's kind of raining today, so the weather is not so hot. But you know, just uh, the doors today. How about yourself? Do you, live, are you, do you live in Manhattan? Yes, on um, the Upper West Side. Uh, okay. Uh, how's the weather by you? Uh, it's uh, not too hot. It's in the nineties here in Vegas. Oh yeah, Vegas. So, so you have that yeah. that humidity, right? You have the the real big humidity out there. No, no, it's very pleasant right now. It's kind of moving into fall-type weather, so. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, Albert, I just want to talk to you. Um, how did you get started in the business? Like, um, what was your, you know, basically how, you know, how, how did you get into filmmaking, basically? Um, well, I, I got interested in filmmaking when I was uh, uh, really young. I probably first really got interested in it when I was about eight years old. Yeah, and um, and then when I was by the time I was ten, I was starting to make movies. Oh wow! When you were ten years old. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember and the? Then, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I think I made a lot of shorts. Like especially at that time, James Bond was really big, and uh, Goldfinger was really big then. And so I tried to make a spy movie. <laughs> All my friends. <laughs> So did you try to make your own version of a James Bond, or you just, um, yep. oh, okay, okay. But, uh, so I spent, uh, an entire summer, you know, writing the script, and then, uh, and then I started making it with my friends, and, uh, and, you know, I didn't, I just didn't know what I was doing, but I knew the process I really enjoyed. Oh, okay, so, in, so in, even at 10 years old, you had that passion, you already knew that you wanted to be in the film business at that point. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was kind of a weird thing, because I didn't, you know, I, I never thought of a career or earning a living or any of that stuff, when you're 10 years old, you just, you're playing, you know, you're doing your play, what you enjoy, Yeah. and um, I 
movies, you know, and I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the whole process of, you know, casting and writing and getting a group together and a production together. Oh, wow, wow. So that was, I can't, I can't believe that was like so early on because I remember when I was like 10 years old, I always thought about being a professional wrestler or always thought about being in the, you know, in, involved in the entertainment field in some aspect, but, you know, I'm too, I'm too skinny and a little bit pudgy to be a wrestler, so that, that never, that never planned out, but I always, you know, saw myself being in an entertainment field somehow, some way affiliated with it, so I forgot. Oh, you know, are? <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess, you know, doing, yeah, yeah. Um, what I call it is guerrilla podcasting, but yeah, you know, pretty much, you know, so it kind of started out late in life, but, you know, better late than never, as you know, as I always yeah. say. Yeah, well, you know, it sounds like you always had the, the passion and you were able to um, find, finally find the right outlet for it, you know, with the podcast, which takes a lot of ability and perseverance, because I don't think that's that easy to do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not, especially trying to get everything organized together, and especially if you have guests where you have to be on the same schedule and stuff. It's yeah. Usually, yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying about you now, I'm just, I'm just saying in general, you know, so it's... Yeah, no, it's, I know it's hard. Yeah, it's pretty daunting. Um, yeah. I was going to say, the first movie I, I guess, was introduced to you from my personal experience was The Sword and the Sorcerer um, with Lee Horsley. Right. That, to me, at, at that time, I think it was in around 1982, that was an amazing movie. It was an amazing movie. And, you know, that thing, you know, I, I fell in love with that movie. Probably one of the first movies I ever saw. Especially um, with the whole the whole writing of it and the, the whole, like, the wizardry and, and like, the... It's almost like the gloom and, like... And, and basically, that the sword the sword that shoots out. It was just so amazing. Right. Well, the, the you know, I... I... I came up with the idea to do the film four years before I actually got to make it. And um, for four years, we, I would, you know, go down Sunset Boulevard in L.A., which is where a lot of the independent uh, producers were and studios were. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would pitch this, the film to them. But over the four years, the good part of it is that over the four years, you develop, you're, you're also developing a story more and a character. You can see where, where shortfalls were, the problems were. As, as you pitched it, you know, you could see by the audience reaction, all these producers and stuff. I mean, I, I got, must have gotten, you know, 20 uh, turndowns a day, wow. half of the day. But, you know, each day I went there. And, in fact, some of them said, don't come to the office anymore. Don't call us anymore. Don't. <laughs> we're never going to make your movie. Don't don't bother us. But I didn't really, you know, that, that didn't really bother me. I just believed in the movie and believed that it eventually, if I kept on going out with it every day, that somehow some, you know, some bit of luck would fall on me, and it did. It, I happened to finally go back to. I think there's a third or fourth time I've been to the office of a company called Group One, mm-hmm. and I. They had turned me down three times prior, and I went into the office, and uh, I just happened to walk in when Excalibur had opened that weekend, or that that Wednesday, and they saw the grosses of how, how well it was doing in my L.A. and around the country, and so they instantly, you know, I walked in with, with uh, Sword of Sorcerer, and they said, sold, you know, we'll, we'll do your movie. Oh, so they basically saw Excalibur and they wanted to almost write on that coke tail, so they wanted right. you to, uh, okay, I see what, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Conan, Conan wasn't really, uh, was probably in production.
Kimbo wasn't out yet, and uh, really, Sword and the Sorcerer really is not like Conan at all. I mean, it's a totally different kind of heroic fantasy. It's more of a the Errol Flynn. It was really uh, influenced by Wind and the Lion, a movie called Wind and the Lion with Sean Connery. Okay, okay. And The Three Musketeers by uh, Richard... Um, uh, I can't remember his last names, but um, it was really much more of a adventure film than it was, uh, you know, a sword and sorcery like with Arnold yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was an excellent movie. And then you know, you have a, you know, you you have so many films that you've done. It's too many for me to list. But um, your director's cut of Cyborg, it's actually pretty amazing. You know, um, I don't know. A lot of I don't know if a lot of people actually seen it, but talk a little bit about um, Slinger, your vision of, of the original Cyborg. Well, we you know we'd come out of this period where originally we were preparing Spider-Man and Masters of the Universe two. Yeah. And when those two happened to be pulled back almost on the same day, and so we had a, done a lot of uh, prep already, and uh, in North Carolina and. It seemed a shame just to let it all go and yeah. not recoup anything. And so I came up with this idea that I wanted to do. And um, I originally wanted uh, Chuck Norris to be the lead instead of Jean-Claude. Hmm. Interesting. And Chuck Norris? Yeah, it was, supposed to, it was much more about supposed to follow a, uh, a reservist, an army reservist. And, you know, in the days after the world fell apart. Mm-hmm. This reserve is trying to get home to his family. He was sent to New York to see uh, if, you know, what, you know, with his regiment. And uh, when things started falling apart, he just tried to escape from New York and tried to get home to uh, to Atlanta. And so that's why that was the original basis of, of Cyborg or Slinger. Oh. And then, uh, and then, and then they, Cannon wanted us to use. Jean-Claude, I had to adapt the screenplay towards Jean-Claude. In yeah. fact, we're, I'm doing a, putting together a project now in Napoleon yeah. about the uh, Emperor of France, and uh, hopefully Jean-Claude will like it. The script is being tailored to, you know, for Jean-Claude, and uh, I think I think it'll be something that'll be interesting for him to do, and for his fans, because it has a lot of action, and he carries the film. It's much more of a romantic, heroic lead than a, uh, you know, like than an assassin or anything like that. It's much, it's up. Yeah. So, yeah. a question. Um. So, if you had Chuck Norris, if Chuck Norris was to do the film, would we have seen a total, totally different slinger as opposed to Van Damme? As you know. It, yeah, I think it would have been a lot less fantasy and much more gritty. Yeah. Much more about about uh, you know more, much more realistic. But once we got Jean Claude, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, we realized we had to go more towards the fantasy. Yeah. And uh, so we took it more towards the fantasy. The original title was always Slinger. It wasn't... Cyborg was something that, that was thrown on the film after it was done. Was that from Galan and Galobis? They're, they're the ones that wanted to change it to Cyborg? The, 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 those were the yeah. owners of Canada, right? Well, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't really understand what I, what I did or what I was doing. And they didn't understand the title Slinger, so... They understood Cyborg a lot easier, so um, that's how it came to be 
Yeah, because if you notice, if you see the movie, I've seen it plenty of times, the movie is basically about the Van Damme character, and he is the singer. Right. So I think with a Cyborg, was you really referring to Pearl Prophet as the Cyborg at that time? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they asked me what the elements were and that, that they could sell, and I said, well, I have a Cyborg. And then they went, Cyborg, why don't, we, why don't you call the movie Cyborg? We know what a Cyborg is. So it's called a cyborg. We don't know what a slinger is. Nobody has those slingers. <laughs> so that's how it happened. And uh, you know, I mean, the title was one of the just one of the few changes that were that they put on the film, and, um, and that's why you can see the difference between my director's cut and what I intended the film to be, and what the film was really released as. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was it was different, but um. The quality, it was a little bit grainy. It was because you didn't, it was just like the, a rough cut of it, right? That's why for the... Yeah, yeah, and it was directly off the editorial film and not, you know, off a of final master. And so it, it, it has splices, and every time the splices went through the film gate, you can see it gets a little soft and it gets sharp again, and it's a lot grainier, and the, the colors aren't good, and it's just... Too bad that it, it, at least a version of my cut exists. Yeah, you know, you know, even if it's not the best quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Richard Donner put his cut out there for Superman too, and that's really good that you put your out there because that's your vision of how you originally wanted to do the film. So it's, right. it's you know, I, I advise people to go see it. It's it's a, you know, it's a very different cut. It's it's a little bit more to me darker gloom and pace, but the movie is still effective, regardless. Yeah, well, I think I think at the time. Thinking back to the late '80s, it's not—it didn't fit the way people imagined those type of movies to be because it was a lot uh, more—it was, you know, very somber, it was very grim. And it, I think nowadays people, the audiences are more able to accept a film like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, another question I was wondering—I don't know if you've been asked before, but. Um, the names of the characters of the movie, what um, they're, you know, the Riddenbacher and Fender, they're all musical instruments. Did you had a fascination with musical instruments, or the names were? No, it was it was because as I was doing some research about you know what would survive and stuff, like, obviously music would survive. <laughs> yeah, music never dies. People, yeah, yeah, and so uh, and that got me thinking that you know maybe the characters would be named. Uh, after, you know, particular instruments that they like. And um, it was more just a, my own personal uh, way of, you know, because usually in, a, in most of these kind of movies, the character names are almost secondary. They're not even that relevant. Yeah. They, they don't last a long time. And, but I think if you make really interesting names of the characters, even the, you know, uh, secondary characters, at least it has some staying power, and uh, that's the reason why I chose the name of After Instruments. Oh, okay, you know, you know, because I think that always stood in my head, you know, Gibson Riddenbacher, that always stood in my mind, you know, and right. that's, that's a definitely a, a name you can't forget. Um, also, right. um, at that time, Van Damme had a few movies under his belt. Um, his he didn't really have that much dialogue in the movie. Is that to comp is that him doing a lot of action in the movie was to compensate for, like his because his lack of English at that time or, 
mean, he had a very heavy accent yeah. with English, and, and so it was always very, a concern that uh, the audiences would understand it, and how, you know, it, it's just what I found it a little distracting. So, again, by changing the movie to be a little more fantasy, you could accept the accent a little easier, and um, I think he compensated for what. At that time, he was more interested in in the in the fights, fighting, and the and the uh, you know, and how he looked on film. Yeah, like I the, think I, I think because he grew up on movies, certain movies, and he became fixated on what a hero image is. Mm-hmm. And so instead of it coming out of the character, which at that time wasn't something he was particularly experienced enough to really glean. Uh, a character that way. Instead, he remembers, you know, Clint Eastwood or Arnold and stuff like that in, in older movies, and, and certainly Stallone. And so he, he imagined the characters through that kind of a filter, and so that was his more of his interest in anything else. And so it was limiting. It limited him. Now I think he's much more into the characters and less into how he looks and the fighting and stuff, you know. So yeah. I think he has grown as an actor. Yeah, also when you reach that certain age, you get humbled, and I think, you know, that's another reason why, you know, he does the movies that he does now, but, you know, he still hasn't changed, he still hasn't missed a beat, it's just, you know, his movies may go direct to DVD, but he's still Van Damme regardless, you know, he's still, he's still, right. he's still great, you know, you know, he's like... No, the, I think, I think he's just, you know... I remember, I mean, actually the difference is that in the same time period, I was trying to do a film called Johnny Guitar, which was a remake of a 1950s movie called Johnny Guitar with Sterling Hayden. Okay. And I wanted to do it with John Travolta. Oh. And at that time, Travolta was cold. You know, he was doing those, uh, the babies where he talked about one of the babies. And uh, so Menachem just said no, no to, you know, casting uh, John Travolta. Well, a couple of years later, of course, Tarantino cast Travolta, and it revitalized his whole, he had a whole second career. Yeah, yeah, especially, yeah, especially because at that, at that time, he, before that, I think he was doing the Look Who's Talking movies, I believe. Right? Yeah, and then, exactly, and so, you know, Menachem didn't see him as a viable, and he had his first career, which was, you know, Urban Cowboy, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, yeah. And then all of a sudden he, he went to slump, and during that slump I tried to get him into a film, and Menachem said no. And um, I think the same thing could happen for Jean Claude if yeah. he's smart, not smart, if he's <laughs> if he make, can make the commitment yeah. to acting and to characterization. Uh, I think he can do tremendous movies. His English is better now. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's aged in the right way, and he's got the experience to do yeah. something special. Yeah, especially I don't know if you've seen the documentary he did. The JCVD was pretty good, you know, and um, he had the little bit part in um, Expendables too, and you know he still has it. You know, he still does movies, especially um, the sequels to Universal Soldier. You know, and his English is a little bit better now. You know, yeah, better, and I think his interest is more. More importantly, he's experienced, so he understands the need to create character and what, you know, what the story needs of a, of a script, as opposed to what, how he sees himself in terms of as a hero. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and then especially him playing the villain too, it's even better too because you know, at that you know, when you're always playing a good guy, a good guy, you know, you get complacent in a role, that, you know, I should be a good guy in every movie, but I think he works best as a bad guy as well. You know, he's really good yeah. at that. Well, I think he did like I say, he's learned a lot. He's learned what you know, he, he's he's passed the star building phase of his career. He he reached that stardom and now he's in the growth part of his career and hopefully I'll be able to convince him to uh, do Napoleon yeah. because I think he's at, at the right point in his life and his career to take on the challenge of such a big role. Yes, yeah, that that'll be great if he actually does it. That'll be you know that'll be awesome if he actually does it. It'll be excellent, excellent if he does it. You know? Yeah, I think so. You know, another question for you I had to ask you, because um, I'm a big fan of Masters of the Universe, and originally Cyborg was supposed to be a sequel, am I correct, to Masters of the Universe? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was Was Dolph Lundgren attached to it? Because I know, like, they, they, were, they were saying Lord Hamilton the, was no. supposed to be due to the sequel, or? Laird, Laird Hamilton. Laird Hamilton, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Surfer was, I passed to be, uh, take the role over from Dolph, uh, and to, um, because it was, it was a different type of role. It wasn't just all a body type of thing. It was about how He-Man comes back to Earth, and he's a little bit of a, uh, uh, he was simple. He was, he was a simple guy, mm -hmm. kind of a, not, not you know, heroic, and he, but he was a simple guy, and I think in the script, and uh, so, you know, I think Dolph is such a big person in real life that and that he would have never fit the role. So he wasn't Dolph wasn't right for where we were taking the uh, Masters of the Universe Part Two. Yeah, well, he had just come off Rocky, um, Rocky Four. Am I correct when he did Masters of the Universe? Or yeah, yeah. And so they wanted you know that big body and yeah. and he was a hero all the time. But in the movie I was making, the script, he was uh, he comes to Earth. Mm -hmm. And he wants to just learn about Earth, you know, Earthlings. Okay. And so he becomes, he becomes a much simpler person. And I think he worked at, like, a McDonald's in the film and stuff. And then, of course, Skeletor comes to Earth, and then he has to... That's how it pulls him out of that life he was having, and he has to um, become He-Man. <laughs> oh, wow. So, wait, so He-Man was supposed to, like, just find a regular job on Earth? Uh, for yeah, he wants to learn. He wants to learn. He wants to learn? Earthlings, you know, after that first adventure on Earth. He wanted to find out what it was like to be Earthling and, um, <laughs> or the, and, you know, and then while he's at being an Earthling, he meets a girl and falls in love and he starts to develop a whole life. Yeah. And uh, suddenly Skeletor shows up on his doorstep. Wow, that's well. I, I'm just trying to picture He-Man working at a, like trying to work at a McDonald's or something. I don't know. I'm just trying yeah. to figure that out. Wow. He, he was, a, you know, he just started. He just worked. He was became a normal Earthling, you know, just yeah. paying the bills, paying rent, you know, yeah. just all the things that people have to do to survive. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to learn those things. You know, he he knew there had to be something else other than yeah. whacking somebody with a sword. Yeah. And then of course he is forced to become back to what he was born to do, which was be He-Man. Yeah. And um, he takes on Skeletor, and that's where the last third of the movie is, is battling Skeletor. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you know they had the little, the little, you know, before now they call it Easter eggs. Now when Skeletor popped up at the end of the first He-Man, said I'll be back. You already knew it, there was a sequel already planted. But um, um, another question, just one question I have: Why um, the most of the majority of the movie didn't take place in Eternia? Was it because of budget constraints for the film that you know they wanted to do it on Earth because? Was mo- there's money always? No, no, it wasn't that. It would have been easier and cheaper actually to do Eternia, but yeah. the, the the difference was it wasn't where the script the script was really interesting and was quite good because it was about you know he man he comes to Earth after that first adventure he had and he wants to integrate it no- normally into being an Earthling mm-hmm. and um, you know he has to learn how to drive a car he has to buy a car he has to. And then he meets a woman that has children already, and he starts to develop a whole family and a life. And he he decides that is the most important thing to him. And then Skeletor shows up, and uh, then the movie does shift back to Eternia. Actually, the last I think the the last fifteen minutes of the movie or the script was all about Eternia. Wow. You know, at that time, there wasn't, was there a contract for, like, a two-picture deal, or was it, or you, or you have no idea about that? Was it, like, a one-off when they did Masters of the Universe, where they're contractually obligated to do a sequel, or? No, they had the rights to it, but they took too long to make the film, and, and then Mattel pulled the rights back, because they didn't like, Mattel didn't care for the first film. Oh, okay, okay. And then some of the set pieces that, some of the sets were already being built for the sequel, right? And that's what got used for right. Cyborg? Yeah, and we try to make those sets similar to uh, that. Would they would also work basically for Spider-Man? That's oh, yeah. how we were saving the money. Yeah, that's right. Who, who who was involved with the Spider-Man project besides yourself? Well, I mean, you know, it was that was uh, Marvel and you know Stan. Yeah, Stan Lee was involved, and um, I think we had a really good script, but it was the same situation where the rights the time period for them to start the film had run out. Yeah. And so the rights reverted back to Marvel. Marvel wanted more money for it to extend those rights, and unfortunately, Canon didn't have the money. Yeah, because I think Canon, they had, they had went back, bankrupt in a few years down the line. Not right away, but yeah. down the line, they uh-huh. went bankrupt. But yeah, I think, they're heading that. Yeah, um, I think like your vision probably would have been great now because we have like the technology and everything to be these special effects now i think you're just you're just like a pioneer and a visionary that all this stuff you had in mind it was just so expensive probably do you think or if you think you had that well, mindset you had to now do it for real all the stuff that you that like spider-man had to do had to be for real yeah so you yeah, really if you flew down the street you had to actually fly spider-man he had to swing by a web down yeah. the street yeah in new york street and it couldn't fake it yeah, you couldn't CGI that at all. Right? No, no, you had to do it for real. So you had to, you know, was figuring out how you're gonna, how he was gonna climb on the wall on the roof, how he was gonna jump from skyscraper to skyscraper, how he was gonna, you know, shoot down Fifth Avenue. Wow, that would have been uh, for real. You know, for real, not not not. Yeah, yeah not, not, not CG. Yeah, no, not a CGI anything on that. But that that would have been really interesting to see that in the streets at that time, you know, and then especially gritty New York in the eighties. That would have been really good. Yeah, no, and, we, and it was just unfortunate that the plug a pull before we could, uh, you know, put any of that on film. But you know, it, uh, it 
it was really uh, interesting. I think I still have the original script we were going to shoot somewhere. But oh, wow. um, it, it was it was it was quite interesting. I, we scouted uh, Manhattan and took pictures and then built parts of Manhattan in North Carolina. Oh wow! Okay. So the movie, the majority of the movie would have took place in North Carolina because it was cheaper, probably. Yeah. 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 And uh, they had certain things. It, uh, Dino De Laurentiis' studio, and he had done King Kong, and so he had a lot of gimbals. You know, cause we had to make, we had to turn, you know, city streets, alleys, rooms. You know, we had to be able to turn them upside to on their side or upside down yeah. to emulate the Spider-Man moves. So it was, it was part was money, but really it was a there was already an existing infrastructure we could take advantage of in North Carolina. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Albert, do you have anything you're working on now that you, that you could discuss? Anything that's well, up and coming? Well, just Napoleon, the Napoleon film about the French emperor uh, that I hope Jean-Claude, you know, is interested in doing. And um, you know, maybe I'm hoping that we can do surround him with uh, really interesting actors and action actors actors like there's one role which is a French like a spy she's a spy but she's almost superhuman in ability I'm hoping to get Gina Carano oh, that'll be excellent yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll start with Jean-Claude and then we we we'll go from there <laughs> yeah um, I, I want to talk to you one more thing about um, Cyborg Nemesis the, the movie Um, I read about it but I have not well, what is that basically about is it a combination of Nemesis and Cyborg together yeah yeah, and it's 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 almost done. Okay. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's a, it's a lot, most of it takes place in outer space okay. on a on a space station that uh, has been abandoned and taken over by the bad people, and the um, good people have to go to the space station. And it, but it, it it like really takes that cyborg world. Okay. With the technology from the Nemesis world. And that actress who was in the in the last scene of the director's cut, what is her name that she's in? Joey Foco? Yes, yes. She's she's yeah. she's the main lead for the Cyborg Nemesis as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. But um, what was that ending about? Because I was kind of confused when I saw that. It was just, can you explain to me that, that the ending for the director's cut of Cyborg with her at the end? Oh, yeah. Well, the, it was, the idea was that you can, if you if you see, well, when you see Cyborg Nemesis, it'll make a lot more sense because there's a lot of backstory that goes into that image. Okay. And who that person is and, and you know, that she's on a space station and, you know, that, <laughs> that you know, there, there are all these, all of that, all these bad cyborgs are inhabiting the space station mm -hmm. and preparing to come back down to Earth and this time, you know, destroy all humans for good. Oh, wow. Is that movie still in production, or...? Oh, no, we're done, but we're in post-production, and we're trying to wrap it up. We'll have it done before uh, I do the next film. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I can't wait I have to a see film coming out. I have a film coming out, I think, in October. It's, it's going to play at the Polygram Film Festival in, here in Las Vegas, but it's a film called The Interrogation. 
of Cheryl Cooper. Oh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, the whole movie it takes place it's just one shot, but uh, it's anyway, it's really interesting. It takes place with this person being interrogated in real time, and you what you think about the character and when you first meet meet her changes as the as the inter- interrogation goes on and on, and um, it's got twists and turns in it and. Like the police detective, you're not sure if you trust the police detective that's, in, that's interrogating her, stuff like that. Oh wow, sounds interesting. Um, and it's yeah. gonna, when is when is the festival? So October sixteenth. It, it uh, screens October sixteenth. October sixteenth. Okay, so that's next month. So probably people are hearing this now in September is just one more month away for that. So that sounds right. really interesting. Um, also, um, with Cyborg, I, mean, I just want to get back to Cyborg again. Would you ever think about doing uh, like a, I don't know, like a, like a like a reunion movie if they if it ever comes up? It, like speaking to Van Damme of a, you know, like I, I think at this like point, a, yeah. I think it'd be it'd be hard to, it'd be hard to gather all the elements to do a reunion movie. Yeah, uh, you know because I think. Uh, you know, everybody's older. Yeah. Uh, some people it just, it just they just wouldn't. You know, like Vince Klein who played Fender. Yeah. I don't. He's not in in this in uh, I think shape to take on a movie. I'd love. It'd be great. It'd be great to have a reunion movie. But I, I just don't see that John Claude would be interested probably in doing that yeah. type of role again. Well, because you know you've seen Sylvester Stallone and Rambo, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to revisit the Terminator at you know at his age. You know I would I would love to see him as Rittenbiker right back again in the fold. But you know yeah I don't, I don't maybe I mean I'll I'll try I'll approach him first for Napoleon and you know see if he agrees to do it. And as we develop our working relationship again, I'll broach the idea of maybe doing another cyborg. Yeah, that that definitely be excellent. You know, Albert, you know, I don't want to take up too much time, but thank you for giving me the time to talk to me. And um, is there anything you want to plug out there? Any any other thing you want no, to No, no, that's it. Just to, you know, hopefully I'll be able to do Napoleon with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And uh, I have a film coming out that's playing at the Pauly Bryan Film Festival October 16th here in Vegas called The Interrogation of Cheryl Cooper. And uh, sometime probably early next year, uh, the Cyborg Nemesis. Oh, look forward to seeing that. Thank you so much, Albert, for this interview. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you.